This Psalm 16, if you have your Bibles, I ask you to be right there with me. We're in a series in Psalms. We're not hitting all the Psalms, but we're, uh, we're looking at key Psalms. So we're asking the Lord to, to teach us as we go. And just before we read Psalm 16, a couple things you should know. First, we're going to do things a little different this morning. We're going to go from the end of the Psalm to the beginning of the Psalm. So you know, hold on. I know that's, that's shocking, but that's where, how we're going to approach this. The other thing I want to remind you is that Psalm 16 is in the middle of this book one. Book one of the Psalms. The, the Psalms are 41 total. Uh, book one is 40, 41 Psalms. Here we are in the middle. And if you recall, what's happening here is at the beginning of the Psalms, David is, uh, and, the, and the person that put all the Psalms together is saying, okay, God reigns over everything. The whole earth belongs to him without exception. His plan for the kingdoms involve every detail. He rules over this earth with love and goodness. But if there's a theme to that establishment of the kingdom that is seen in David and David's on the throne and we're in the promised land and we're in the the temple and we're worshiping the theme of these 41 chapters, these 41 Psalms, the nations are going to resist that. This isn't going to be easy. We talk about the fact that uh, Robertson, O.P. Robertson says, if there's one word that characterizes Psalm 1 to 41, conflict. God reigns, the world doesn't like it. God sits on his throne, we resist. And so that's kind of the background moving into this psalm so that we can understand where we're going with it better, okay? So I'm going to read the psalm, and then we're going to spend a minute in prayer before we ask the Lord to illuminate and and enlighten our eyes so we can see what it says, okay? Psalm 16, here we go. A mictum of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints and the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Father, we need you to come and preserve us. I pray for the one in this room or watching online and they're maybe watching it live or maybe watching it later in the week or in days to come. And they need some preservation. For you to come 
and take what seems to be waning and broken and diminishing and for you to be a bulwark beneath it, for you to be strong, for you to lift up. Would you help? Would you help us? Oh, we need you so much. In you, uh, we, we take refuge. Lord, you are our safe place. We come to worship you week by week for you have prescribed it and you are worthy of it. And here together, we've just sung the song in your presence. We are not safe because we are morally better than someone. We are not safe because we try harder. We are not safe because of a bank account or a job. We are not safe because of the the people in our family. We are not safe because of the homes we live in or because currently we know of no health problem in our body. We are safe because we run to you. And we hold to you. You are our refuge. And I'm praying that the reality of the preservation and the refuge that comes from Psalm 16 would settle in our hearts. You'd work it in our hearts. You'd help us see the beauty of who you are and what you do. So help us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at Psalm 16, uh, you see the, the inscription, and it's, it's fun to look at those inscriptions to understand. Those are, those are inspired. You know those little ins- inscriptions before the first one? That's not like somebody wrote this down and thought, well, this would be a good descriptor. That, those, little, those little all-cap letters, at least in my Bible, they're all-cap. Those, wait, yeah, they're all-cap. Um, sorry. Those are inspired. The, the author wrote those. And so here David wrote, before he went into the psalm, a mictum of David. And so, uh, you know, I did a lot of study this week and was comparing and thinking through this. And I was like, mictum, mictum, mictum. What is a mictum? And here is what I found out. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> Nobody really has any idea what that means. You do the, the, like the etymology and even like uh, outside of the scripture, old Akkadian, and then the whole thing, you go looking and people are like, ah. I don't know. So here's what we do. Like we do with English words, we can see how the word is used. And so here it's used, and we notice that David's life is in danger. We notice that he is crying out to God for help. And we notice that he has complete confidence that God's going to do it. Turn over for a moment, would you, to Psalm um, 56. We're going to do this real quick, just so you kind of get the... Get the feeling here. These are the only other four or five places where the word mictum is used. All right? Here we go. We'll go quick. Psalm 56, mictum. To the choir master, according to the dove on far off Teberinth, a mictum of David. When the Philistine seized him in Gath. So here's a real situation in David's life. He is seized by the Philistines. His life is in danger. And he starts out with, in God I put my trust. And he ends up with, this I know for sure. God is for me. Mictum. Chapter 57. Or excuse me, not chapter, but Psalm 57. Let your glory be all over the earth. That's not inspired. But here's what is inspired. Psalm 57. To the choir master, according to do not destroy a mictum of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. 
So the king of the land, remember David had been anointed king, it had been prophesied that he would be the next king, and yet there was a long time delay, and the promise that he thought was for him, he, he had no idea when it would actually come to be. And so he waited, and he waited, and while he waited, the legal current king of the land literally hunted him down to kill him, posted guards outside his house and waiting for David to come home. And the concept was, let's put him to death to end the possibility that he'll sit on this throne. So Mictum, life in danger, and here he says in Psalm 57, as he's fleeing, uh, he says, I will give thanks to you among the peoples. In other words, your purposes, Lord, are going to come to be. Everyone's going to see that you're good. Everyone's going to see that you help me. Psalm 58, to the choir master, according to do not destroy. I think do not destroy was like the tune. Like, are we singing this? Are we singing this A? Are we singing this B? Are we singing this C? Are we singing this uh, to the doves of Teberinth? Or are we singing the uh, do not destroy tune here? Do not destroy? Good. B. Tune it up. Let's play. Right? And then they would sing the lyric. Uh, 58. Uh, to the choir master, according to do not destroy, a mictum of David. In Psalm 58, Psalm, David is saying, oh, Lord, in the land of of Israel, your appointed people, your people here amidst us. There's injustice. I mean, if there's injustice here, what hope is there? And yet, look at how he uh, resolves this in his mictum. Mankind will surely say there is indeed a reward for following after God. He will bring his justice, and all will see that he is a just God, even if the people of God are not just. Psalm 59. Don't worry, there's only two more. To the choir master, according to do not destroy, a mictum of David, when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. We've already talked about that story. If you want to read more about it, you can turn over to Psalm, excuse me, 1 Samuel 19. David's response in the mictum, I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. So the wheels are off the cart. Nothing is as I thought it would be. I'm continually waiting for things to get to some kind of plateau, some kind of good, some kind of normalcy in my life. And while I wait, I'm going to sing about how good God is. Psalm 60, last one. The choir master, according to Shushan Eduth, different tune apparently. Um, when he strove with Aram, Naharaim and the Aram Zobah, and when Joab on his return struck down 12,000 of Edom in the Valley of Salt. And here's the picture David made decisions, and between 12 and 16,000 people died. And he had to live with it. The repercussions of a decision that was completely on him cost many, many human lives. And he's saying in this mictum with God, we shall do valiantly, he will be faithful. So while I can't tell you what the word victim, excuse me, mictum means, I can tell you how it's used. Life is broken. Life is not in a normal routine. I'm in a situation of literal physical danger 
And while I am in that situation of physical danger, I am purposely looking, lifting up my eyes and not only reminding myself that what is true, but I am, in, uh, I am controlling, I am I'm feeding, I'm fueling my emotions with regard to that truth. And, and I'm responding. And my emotions are actually responding and there's gladness. And we're going to see that we don't just, you know, kind of sing a dirge. It's not just this downcast, you know, every, woe is me kind of thing. It is a, God is on his throne. And listen, you've lived two years in a national and global pandemic. There has been lots of highs and lows. There's been weird and strange there has been disruption of normal. There have been some of us that have felt like our lives were in danger at some level, and certainly our normalcy is in danger. We have had uh, brokenness. We have had loved ones pass away. We have had difficult scenarios come upon us. And for all of us today, as we turn to Psalm 16, I'm inviting you, not literally, but figuratively, sing this mictum with me. Sing it from the bottom of your heart. Let your emotions be touched not by me, but by the word of God and his presence. And so let's jump into to this passage, okay? Um, Psalm 16. Um, listen, we move to conflicted to confident, and that is my, that's my um, nickname for a mictum especially in this first book. Nickname for a mictum. I'm going to write a book with that title. Nickname for a mictum. All right. We move from conflicted to confident when we see that this psalm, that, that Jesus has fulfilled this thousand-year-old promise. And that's the first thing I want you to see. We're getting to the end. We're getting to the, the, uh, the summary or the point of this psalm. Therefore, in verse 9. And so rather than hide that to the end, I want to get that out there front and center right now so we can talk about it during the whole, the whole sermon this morning or the whole exposition this morning, okay? So in verse 9 it says, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Uh, first things first, how this is about Jesus. If you would turn to Acts chapter 2, I will turn there momentarily. You'll see that Peter, when he had an opportunity to talk to all of Jerusalem and and let them know about Jesus Christ and, and how Jesus has to be the Messiah. There's no other option. Jesus is the promised one. He's the only one. He's exclusively uh, he described in all of the Old Testament. And he says, you guys ever read Psalm 16? I mean, he goes and quotes most of these four verses at the end of the psalm. He's like, guys, you should know, uh, I saw the Lord always before me. David says concerning Jesus, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced and my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. And he explains it, so I'll let him explain it. When he says this, brothers, uh, I may say to you with confidence, and that's what this point is about, it's confidence that Jesus is the Messiah, about the patriarch David, that he died. He died. And he was buried. And if you want to, you can go visit the place where his body is decaying. 
or decayed. In other words, Psalm 16, though spoken by David, is not about David. It's prophetic words placed in David's mouth to show all of us who Jesus is. To get us ready for this fact that that there will be a, a servant on the throne, a king on the throne in Israel of David's offspring who will sit there one day and be on the throne and have all the glory and the honor for him. And when he dies, he will not see corruption. And here is a prophecy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's not a lot of those in the Old Testament. If you think about where would you turn to show a friend that the resurrection proves that Jesus has to be the one and only servant, the final servant, the ultimate servant. And Peter and then Paul later in Acts 13, we're not going to turn to it, but Paul later in Acts 13 uses that exact phrase, that exact passage, and says, this proves it, Psalm 16. And so you and I should be familiar with the fact about how this is about Jesus Christ, okay? It's certain, he says here, that he, David, is in the tomb. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, and he was not abandoned to Hades, to the grave, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and all of us are witnesses of that. So it's got to be Jesus. It's about Jesus, right? Let me just say one other thing. We do a good job of, uh, all of us, do a good job of saying, look, see, now that proves it, that proves it. And so, accept Jesus, receive Jesus. He's, this points to Jesus. True. Okay. Can I just say to you that that mental and real proof is so important, but something is just as important, and that's that you feel the love that Jesus has for you in being that one? It's not just true information. God loves you. God sent his son, the servant who would sit on the throne of Israel, to die your death. We sang the song. He he sent his son because there was no other way to redeem sinning people like you and me to himself. The cost was great and his love was greater. He loves you with an everlasting, unending love, and he proves his love for you in sending his son. So I don't want to sit back in Psalm 16 and say, well, that's technically true information you should know, and that's true. But if it's only information for your mind to receive, and you aren't feeling the brokenness of sin that caused it, and you aren't feeling the amazing... uh, tidal wave of God's love that brought it to be and you aren't sensing that he did it for you and that he he draws you in that's where I want you to feel today the extent and the the the, uh, lengths that God would go to to show you his love and to make it certain I'll tell him a thousand years ahead of time what I'm going to do. And then when I do it, it's going to all point to Jesus. And for 2,000 years later, when we read it and we see it, we can take great delight and joy and glory. This psalm is about Jesus. This psalm is also about David. You see that? David, and let me just say this before we talk about how it's about David. David has unshakable happiness because 
he has set the Lord ever before him. Because he believes these things, he's happy. Can I just tell you something? As Christians, sometimes we do things that are not helpful. We'll say like, oh, um, well, that really means joy. And so what joy is, is this internal conviction that no matter what the circumstances are, you know, I know God's in control and it's all going to work out. But I remain unhappy. I remain frustrated. I remain bitter about my life and the way things are in the world today. And so I can have joy and be completely unhappy and miserable at the same time. And can I just tell you something? David had people outside the door ready to take his life. And if he were here today, he would say, that's not what I meant at all. That's not what I was talking. I'm not talking about just an internal conviction that you can be happy if you ch- and, and remember that God is sovereign. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, here's the words. Uh, I'm glad, he says in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad. That word is merry. That word is, uh, it's grapes, actually. In other words, wine. And so it's something that, is outside me, and I take it inside me, and it produces a new happy mood. I'm not suggesting we drink wine or be drunk, not at all. I'm suggesting that the picture of grapes is a picture of something that was outside that comes in and changes my outlook. That's Jesus for you and for me. Not an internal, okay, eventually he'll work it all out, but I've got to slog through this. It's not, not that. It's happy today while the enemies are outside your door, ready to take your life, happy, and glad because you have taken Jesus into your heart and you love him and you're walking with him, rejoicing. You see that in verse 9? Uh, excuse me, verse 10. For you will not abandon... Uh, Sorry, it is verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. Now, I don't go looking for psalms that talk about dancing. But this is the second time in a row I'm up here with a psalm and dancing. That word rejoicing there, it is shake it. It is move it. It is run in a circle. It is, it is celebrate who God is and what he's done in your life. I would suggest you start in private and you turn some music on and you work a few moves out. And then I would suggest, like David did, Occasionally, because of who God is in your life and how much you love him and the joy that's coming in the midst of being surrounded by by trouble, you move some public dance moves on occasion. You are not afraid. Now, I know some of us are very reserved and I know others of us are, are not. And it's easy for me to say, I'd be happy to move right now and dance right now if you'd like. But no, no, we have other things to do. At home, if you're uh, joining in on the live stream, you can, right now, feel free. Yeah. Therefore, my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my whole body dances before the Lord. Here's why, because my heart dwells secure. And then he goes on, and at the end of verse 11, excuse me, in verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And that phrase, fullness of joy, is this sponge that has got so much water in it that you put another drop on it and the water comes out because you cannot absorb or hold any more happiness because you love God that much and you see him, he's ever set before you and he has changed the way you think about the people outside the door who are here to do your damage. 
They're here to take your life. Note that this psalm is about David's happiness, and I would just like to say it this way. David is happy for the immediate protection and blessings of the Lord, verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. Why? Well, my flesh dwells secure. What's that saying? Today, I'm okay. You're okay. Everyone in this room today, you're here. Your flesh might not be perfect, It might be weaker than it was yesterday. You might have had some questionable pains this week. But if David were here, he would say, hey guys, we're all gathered here in the presence of the Lord. Your flesh dwells, lives, secure. That is a beautiful, beautiful promise you have today. And while you have today, honor the Lord in your heart. David was super happy and dancing and, and, and uh, celebrating God while he went through t- trouble, not only because of the immediate protection, but for God's guidance. There's going to come this future moment. David won't know what to do, and he knows that God's going to show up and show him what to do tomorrow. That's what verse 10 is all about. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your, um, your Holy One see corruption. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. Path is singular there. What will I do tomorrow? What if the worst things happen today? Well, that's okay. Notice that David is not a why me person. He's not a how long person. He's not a what if the worst things happen person. Here's where David is. He had all these promises for God. He's going to sit on the throne in, in, the, in the kingdom, in the castle. He's going to be uh, lauded as a, a, a type, one who is like pointing to the future Messiah. He's got all of these things, and he realizes that he, that he won't see any of them the way he thinks he will see them in his lifetime. He's not expecting this plateau, this season of ease. When will things get back to normal? For David, there's no normal. David had extreme trouble in the early part of his life because of his own sin. And David had extreme difficulty in the second part of his life because of the loss of life all around him. And in the midst of that, David said, okay, whatever happens tomorrow, I don't know what it's going to be. I'm not expecting it to be easy. I'm not expecting it to be normal. I'm not expecting it to be just me thinking how God might fulfill a promise to me. I'm not, I'm not going there anymore. But here's what I know. Tomorrow, when I have to make a decision, he will show me how to make a decision in accordance with his word that honors him. He'll show you the path of life with all the wheels off the cart. He'll show you in this period of transition that you didn't ask for what to do tomorrow to honor him. He'll be there. And David just didn't look at that and be like, oh, okay, that's pretty good. David said, that's life to my soul. That's what I'm living for. I'm banking on that with everything. I'm dancing while my life is in danger because tomorrow when my life could be taken, God's going to show up and show me how to honor him in the way that I ought to. He's going to lead me in the paths of life. Number three, David was happy for the immediate protection in verse 9. David was happy for God's guidance in verse 11. David is happy for a completely secure future. Verse 11, you make known to me the paths of life in your presence. We sang about that in our song as well. 
not in my good deeds, not in my bank account. We talked about those things, but not in those things. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand where I'm going to be, pleasures forevermore. God has got pleasures for us in heaven forever that are going to wow and astound us. And the first one being, we get to be in the presence of Jesus Christ and his presence forever and ever. That's not on earth. On earth, it's going to be struggle. On earth, it's going to be unknown. On earth, it's going to be a promise that I, I, I'm not sure if it's even fulfilled. I think it's fulfilled. The seasons of struggling, and we're struggling, we're asking, and we're, and we're seeking the Lord. But here is what David says is, I am certain that there is a future where there will be no more pain, there will be no more brokenness, there will be no more loss, there will be no more death, there will be no more sin, and I'll be with him forever. And in that moment, I will have pleasure forever, and that moment will last forever and ever into eternity future. Are you happy like that? Now, you should see also, David is the king on the actual throne. There are promises being made to him because God owns the land and because God gave the land to Israel. And you see from the point of David all the way through uh, Jesus' birth that there's a struggle in the world, people to snuff out this promise to David. And We don't talk about it extensively in this psalm, so I'm not going to talk about it extensively, but there's a whole bunch to to look at when you think about how David's on the throne and has this promise from God that he's going to be okay in the moment and that his future is settled. Okay, so we move from conflicted to confident when we see that that Jesus has fulfilled this thousand-year-old promise that was made to David. Number two, we we move from conflicted to confident. Here's kind of how we do it. When we count and count on the benefits that we possess in the Lord. We count and count on the benefits we have. Look at verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Now, when we speak of this lot and we speak of, of what we have in the Lord, look at verse 6. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. When you have a big old inheritance, you live your life differently. I'm not talking about spending like crazy. I'm not talking about getting obsessed with cars and houses. I'm talking about the way I think about your career, the way I think about safety, the way I think about what comes next, the way I think about my my future. We don't have to know the timing of when we'll get that inheritance to know that because of our relationship with the one who would be, be leaving us the money, we are set. We're okay. And that's the beautiful here. The word beautiful there is all shined up. God's got that inheritance just perfectly ready to go. Note this as we think through verses 5. The Lord is my chosen portion. I get how much he is. I have the Lord. I have all that the Lord is. He's my portion. My cup is the concept of he's in the cup and I drink the cup. He meets my need. He holds my lot. That word lot is a beautiful word, and it doesn't talk about how big your room will be in heaven or how much land you inherit. It talks about like the casting of lots. The concept here, he holds your fate 
in his hands. He holds your fate. So when, when we talk to people, uh, let's not say things like, Man, the, what's, what the stars have in store for me today? Let's not say things like, well, karma is out there. Let's not say things like, I feel really lucky about the way things are going in my life. When you are a believer, your lot, your fate, your future is held in the hands of a living God who is working for your good because he loves you as you set him before you. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I love the the inheritance word. Not because of you're going to get a lot of something someday. Actually, you get all of Jesus Christ and these promises today. He is my inheritance. Not one day will be. He is. And that was a thousand years before Jesus came. He is my inheritance now. You don't have to wait to get the benefits of living with the Lord in your presence. You get them now. You have them fully, right? Not fully in the sense that obviously there's some things that are not yet that we're going to experience when we get to heaven. But the other thing about that inheritance word, it, it says this, God owns everything. And then it says this, who inherits? I mean, Romans eight seventeen says this. If we are children, then we are heirs. And in this crazy world where we've walked out there and we've been alone and we were far off and we did our own thing, the picture here is that God has brought us near. He's, in, he's adopted us. You belong to him. The word inheritance is inalienable. That means as God has adopted you to belong to him and you are his daughter or you, as his, you are his son, there is no way to lose the inheritance that God in Jesus Christ has gained on your behalf. And so we rehearse all these benefits. How can we be glad when there's someone outside the door waiting to come in potentially to take our lives? We rehearse these truths to one another. We speak of them, we think about them, we set our minds on them, and we do that all the time. Look at verse 7. Here's a benefit of the Lord that we rehearse, we think about all the time. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Guys, the word of God will teach you how to think healthy. It will teach you how to think the thoughts of God. It will lead you in his way. It will give you instruction to understand him. The Lord himself is your counselor. And this is a benefit that helps you maximize your happiness now. I'm going to live with a mindset that God is making. Note then in uh, verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Um, can I just tell you that... Um, Counseling requires silence, or at least in this picture, that I stop talking. So night after night, I lay in my bed and I say, God, I want you to do this. Why are you doing this? Here's this problem. Here's this broken situation. Here's what I'm thinking about. This is the way I am. I got angry again today. What is going on in you? Why? Why? And we, we lay awake night after night and we talk to him. And we maybe talk to him in frustration about the way we want things fixed and how we think it, or we, we hold to our blind spot. We will not stop seeing this situation from, the, from our perspective. 
And that counselor gives you a new perspective. If you're awake on your bed night after night and the same troubling things are concerning you, you need a counselor. You need to stop talking. You need to come to the Word and say, what would the Word reveal about my blind spot, about my way of thinking, about my way of living, about my personality that's got to change today? And we stop telling God how to fix the problem and where, where He can do some things to make it for me. We close our mouth. And we start meditating on the scriptures. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Verse 7, in the night, my, also, my heart also instructs me. Uh, can I just tell you that that word night in the ESV, it makes it smoother. It's not the word. It should, it, in the Hebrew, it says this, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. You've got a season. Trouble and problems rarely are settled in 24 hours. And he is not talking about in a night. He is talking about a problem, an issue, a struggle that persists day after day after day, and you need a new way of thinking about it, and you need to bring it to the Lord and meditate on the Scripture. And in the nights when you are awake and when you're thinking and laying on your bed, you're saying, Lord, help me see it from your perspective. Teach me, counsel me. Tell me a new way to think about this problem. Come and help me because it's the only way we're going to get to happiness. It's the only way we're going to get to fullness of joy, sponge so full of God that we're thinking the way he wants us to think, especially about the confrontations and conflicts of your life and mine. He gives me counsel. Oh, Lord, please teach me. Applying the Lord's counsel from all these different myriad of perspectives night after night until we've, we've rehearsed it and we come to a, an ending point where we have adopted God's heart and instruction and we're changing the way we approach it to honor the Lord better and we're receiving the fact that we're not going to get to a plateau that's easy but we have promises for our good in the meantime. And that he is doing good things for you and for me. So we move from conflicted to confident, number three, when we turn to the Lord for protection. Turn to the Lord for protection. Verses one through four, we're at the very beginning here. And we're back to what we, how we prayed at the beginning. Preserve me, O God. I need you to come and preserve me. I'm failing. I'm rotting. I'm molding need you to come and make me fresh again. Would you help me? In you, I take refuge. You're the only place. You're the location of my protection. And I'm coming to you, Lord. And I'm saying to you, apart from you, I have no good. Notice that he makes a contrast between two different people when they are taught this. Some people receive this. We're going to look at them in a minute. Some people reject it. Verse 4, people reject it. There are some people, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. There are some people who hear this, that if you set the Lord before you and hold to him, he will work things. He will be your good. He will protect. He loves. And there are some people that are like, eh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to run after Go looking for maybe another God would make it easier for me. The word run after there means, it means pay the bride price. It means get married to another God. Even if it costs me all my money, I'm going that way. Because the God of the scriptures is not satisfying. 
He doesn't offer immediate ease and comfort. He doesn't doesn't promise that my problems will go away immediately if I follow after him. It's true, he doesn't. And can I just say, dads, moms, it's really wise for you to make note of this, guard your heart, and then get your kids ready for this reality. You live in a world where people who have heard the hope and beauty of Jesus Christ are going to run after another God. They're going to sell out to go another direction. They're going to go their own way. Don't be surprised when that happens. And I can tell you, kids, even adult kids, mom and dad are going to be right here rejoicing in the Lord while the whole world around us rots and is not preserved. And so come back home anytime if you need an example of somebody who's keeping their eyes fixed on the Lord, and that's us. But look at verse 3. He says, there's going to be some other people that, that get this. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Guys, God has redeemed for himself a people that he loves. And in Jesus Christ, we are unified together in this place. This body of believers is knit together by grace and mercy. We are not here together to go through 75 minutes of information on a Sunday morning and then break like it's a huddle and and we go off and do our own. We're here to run a play this week. We're here to huddle and help and coach and love. You're here to feel the, the teammate next to you asking the questions and making sure they're running the right route. You're here to sense the camaraderie of being in this together and in the, the, the uh, saints of the land, David says, all my delight is in them. It's another word for complete happiness. And so therefore the unexpected uh, affections or the expected affections of every believer is to, to love and live within a local community. Can I just say, whether you're watching this now or online, we want you here. We want your gift in play. We want you to sense that you're needed here. We want you to know that if we're going to reach Sheboygan County and the world for the glory of Jesus Christ, we cannot do it without you fully engaged. And with you fully engaged, all our delight is in one another. Here's what I'd like to say from the elders and the deacons and the pastoral staff to you, the, the, the whole congregation. And we speak not as authorities. We speak as under shepherds. We speak as fellow sheep with you. We love you. All our delight is in you. We want to lay our life down at the fold, at the sheep pen, and give our lives for you. We want to help you know and trust Jesus Christ. When your kid or your heart is tempted to run after another God and you're tempted to get married to, to pay the bride price to another God, we want to lay in the way and we want to come after you and we want to appeal to you and we want to love you. We want you to know that it's not just information and truth, but it's, it's our very lives we want to share with you. We want to do life together with you and connect in such a way that we, we really do need one another. And that we could say with David, even as verse 4 or verse 3, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. 
And quite frankly, there's no way for us to, um, to hold to the inheritance and to be choosing happiness in Christ without each other. And so that's the foundation. The congregation of the Lord loves each other because of Jesus Christ with a sacrificial love and says, all my best friends are right here and these are the people I, I live my life for and live my life with and give my life to and I do it happily and I'm so thankful. And that leads us to this complete confidence in this inheritance that Jesus is king and that he is here and we set him before us together. And that brings us to a place where we are so confident that Jesus is the Christ. We're not arrogant. We're just sure. And so arrogance says, do it my way. Surety says, look at his way. It's right. It's good. Follow after him. Sometimes it's the long season of dark nights that remind us how much we need each other as we cling to Jesus together. And that's why we can be grateful for suffering. Suffering teaches us and shows the world who Jesus is. Jesus suffered, you'll suffer. David suffered, you'll suffer. You can suffer and be happy at the same time if Jesus is your Lord. So we're grateful for Jesus' resurrection. It proves and makes certain the life to come. And nothing can erode our confidence in God's promise and God's work for us. Amen. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father, in this community of believers, you are our king. We're sure that Psalm 16 is talking about a risen Jesus Christ, and we're sure he had to die and that he saw no corruption. We're sure that one day we will take our place with him in life eternal, and until that point, we will be characterized by suffering and trouble. We will also be characterized by happiness and community. Made in Christ for our good. And so that the people of Sheboygan County can see Jesus is everything. Knit our hearts together as we walk together this week. Bring us back together next week. And in the meantime, I pray that there are phone calls and texts. I pray that there are lunch uh, uh, commitments and, and coffee dates. I pray that there are connections with one another that are going deeper than the information to the place where we are suffering and completely happy at the same time. Dismiss us with your blessings. In Jesus' name. Amen.